Thank you for joining us online today. If you have a prayer request or a testimony that you would like to share, we invite you to text HOTL to 97000. If you would like to partner with us in giving, please text a dollar amount to 84321. Thank you. We hope you enjoy the message and have a great day. Well, hey, good morning, church. Merry Christmas, everyone. Who in here has had a great holiday season so far? Has anybody felt like it's gone like way too fast this year? It's like really weird being like Christmas being on a Monday is really throwing me off. But nevertheless, it is a great day to be in the house of the Lord. <clears throat> hey, if we've not met, my name is Joel Eklund. I'm the executive pastor here. And uh, I have the distinct privilege to uh, close out our Christmas series called Behold the Glory. And uh, today is going to be a pretty simple message. Um, I'm going to talk about waiting. How many of you love waiting? See, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take you to two passages of scripture. We're going to talk about one particular man. Um, it says uh, here in Matthew 2, uh, verses 9 to 12, it says, After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until they came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw, when they saw the star... I want to I focus on this next point here. They were overwhelmed with joy. They were overwhelmed with joy. How many of you have ever had a child? You know, there's a distinct difference between how you feel when you have a kid as opposed to when someone else has a kid. Now, you see, this, this point right here, they were overwhelmed with joy. I understand that as a father because I remember what it felt like to hold my son in my arms for the first time. Like, I, I'll be honest with you guys, um, I, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel. Like, I, I hope that men in the room, like, are, are with me on this, like, or I'm just outing myself as a complete sociopath, one of the two, okay? My wife had like, when, when, when she got pregnant, I, I love the terminology we, but it's not really we, it's she. <laughs> when she got pregnant, it's like she had this automatic, this automatic like connection with this child. And as much as I was excited to be a dad, I, I, I recognized very early on that I didn't have the same connection with the child that she did. Now, you might just say that's, you know, natural since she's growing the child and I'm not growing the child. But I remember there was a fear in me when, when Alec came into the world because I thought to myself, is there something wrong with me? Like I'm not necessarily feeling what I feel like I should be feeling. And then I held him in my arms for the first time and that connection became automatic. It's like I started, like I started crying. I'd never felt love like that before. And then, you know, friends of ours had kids, and it was like, congratulations. Enjoy the sleepless nights. The reason I highlight that is because I want to read it again. It says, when they saw the star and they understood that the child was there, they were overwhelmed with joy. They were overwhelmed with joy. 
Entering the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by a different route. There was an ownership that these wise men had with the child because he wasn't just Mary's child, he was the child of their promise. Now we're going to go to Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 32. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace, as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. God, I thank you this morning for the gift of your son Jesus. I thank you that there's not a person in this building that's here by accident. I thank you that every person in this building today is a product of what happened 2,000 years ago on this night. God, that what you are doing in this place and what you have been doing all throughout history, but particularly in the last 2,000 years, happened because of what happened 2,000 years ago tonight. God, I pray that you would be manifest in this place. God, I pray that you would empty me out of myself, fill me anew with your Holy Spirit. God, help me to communicate what you want to have heard in this place. It's in Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. You know, when I was a kid, I felt like Christmas, like it, it, December was like the longest month on the calendar. You know what I'm talking about? Like the moment you hit December, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just preface this by saying um, some of you uh, may call into question my salvation because of how early we decorate for Christmas. I've talked about this quite a number of times. I don't care what you think. Um, my, my family is a, is a, is a pre-Thanksgiving decorative family, as, as Jesus intended, of course. <laughs> but my, I'll be honest, I did not come from a pre-Christmas decorating family. My mother is a... That, you know, most of the time I tell stories about my dad. I don't tell a story about my mom today. My mother is a classic. Like, if she could get away with it, she would not decorate for Christmas. Yeah. One time, this is not a joke. One time, so I, my freshman year in college, I came home. And, you know, college students, like, their, their, their schedule's different than high school students, Right? Like, they get, out of, they get out of school a little bit earlier. I come home. It's like the second week of December. I walk into my house expecting holiday cheer. <laughs> my mom is gone. My dad is gone. There is not a single decoration up, and there is no Christmas tree. <laughs> I was so incensed. <laughs> Burdened by the Lord, really. It was, it was a prophetic call. Anyway, 
that I spent, I spent the next seven hours, the first day that I was home, I didn't sleep in. I got up and I got the decorations out by God. And by the time my parents got home, there was cheer in that house. But the reality is, is that nothing slows time down like waiting. Nothing slows time down like waiting. See, now, you know, like I said, when I was a kid, it felt like Christmas would never come. Now as an adult, it feels like every time I turn around, it's Christmas. (laughs) And like, instead of like waiting, I'm like flying towards it. I'm like hurtling towards it, man. You might even say that that, that time has changed the way that I celebrate Christmas. You know, we decorate early. I'll just be honest. This is why we do it. We decorate early because 25 days when I was a kid isn't the same as 25 days as a dad. You know, from family uh, gatherings to parties to extra services, I found more and more the need to practice waiting again. Why should you practice waiting? Because the Lord will not be rushed. The Lord will not be rushed. He will not be hurried. You know, there's only one time in all of Scripture, once, in which the Lord actually says it's not time yet, but he did it anyway, and it was when his mom asked him for a favor. Are you his mom? No. He won't be hurried by you. Can I, can I tell you something? God doesn't care that we have Instapots. Do you understand what I mean by that? God doesn't care that you can take a four-hour meal and turn it into an hour meal. God doesn't care that you could break out a frozen hungry man dinner and put it into your microwave and have dinner. Just because we are used to getting things like immediately and being gratified immediately does not mean that God has to capitulate to our culture. God will not be rushed. Gandalf said it this way. (laughs) A wizard is never late, Frodo, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. God is never late, nor is he early. He answers his promises exactly when he means to. See, like a good father, God knows that every promise is coupled with the right timing. My, my kids, the moment the presents go under the tree, ask me if they can open one. You know why I say no? Number one, because I want to teach them how to wait. Number two, because they might accidentally open the socks and underwear, and then it wouldn't be as exciting. I mean, there, I'm telling you, there is nothing more exciting. Let me put this that different way. They're, socks and underwear have never been more exciting than on, uh, than on Christmas morning. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, every parent in the room, every parent in the room has filler gifts, right? We have gifts that we put under the tree just because we want to make it look like there's a lot more gifts under the tree. And those gifts are entirely comprised of socks and underwear. <laughs> Here's something to consider about waiting on the Lord. Sometimes when we feel our promise is delayed or late, 
it can cause us to ask, why is God withholding his promise from me? As though he is untrustworthy. But like I said, like a good father, God knows that every promise is coupled with the right timing. In fact, I want to tell somebody in the room who's waiting on a promise that God is more excited to fulfill his promise to you than you are to receive it. God is more excited to fulfill his promise to you than you are to receive it. Can I prove it to you really quick? I want to consider the contrast between heaven's response to Christ's birth and man's response. Heaven's response, I should say it this way, the best of man's response was the wise men bringing gold and frankincense and myrrh. Heaven's response was to send 10,000 angels to light up the night sky. God is significantly more excited to fulfill his promise to you than you are to receive it. More than just waiting on God's promises, we need to learn to wait on the Lord in everything. Exodus 33, verses 9 to 11. Again, sometimes when we've read Scripture enough, we just sort of read through it. We, we, we don't really put ourselves into the place of the people that Scripture is being written about. I want you to consider this. It says, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and remain at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak with Moses. As all the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance to the tent, they would stand up, then bow and worship, each one at the door of his tent. The Lord would speak with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, his assistant, or excuse me, the camp, his assistant, the young man Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the inside of the tent. There's a couple things. I'm going I'm to get to Joshua a little bit later, but the first thing I want to say is that this is implying that every time that Moses went to inquire of the Lord, everything in the camp stopped. Everything. All the people would go outside the tent, and they would wait there. They would worship, then they would wait. There's no other work going on. There's nothing else that's happening that's more important than what Moses is hearing from the Lord. An entire people were trained how to wait on the Lord. You know what you don't have to teach a slave? How to work. It's why when the Israelites came out of Egypt, the first thing that God did was he set them to learn how to rest. Now, to be fair, in our culture, some of us probably learn how to, need to learn how to work more. Like when we look at the Ten Commandments and we look at specifically the, the, the fourth commandment of the Sabbath, there's, there's this, this verbiage in there that says, for six days <clears throat> you will work and do all your work. And then it says that on the seventh day you will rest. Now, why did he need to train them how to rest? Because they had been trained with a whip in the past. And they had to learn, actually, you can't work all the time or you're going to die. But the next thing that he did was he trained an entire people not to be worried so much about what was going on in their daily lives. But when the presence of God showed up, we're going to wait. Because whatever God says to Moses is going to be significantly more important than what I might say to my children. 
I'm going to wait on the Lord. Waiting in a hurried culture takes intentionality. Waiting in a hurried culture takes intentionality. You realize that our culture, busy, is viewed as a virtue. How do I know that? Well, because whenever you ask somebody how they're doing, what do they say? Good. Busy. Or even if they're not good, well, I'm keeping busy. Why? Because it's a virtue. We don't know how to stop. Where it's like it's our, our entire culture is like, has like, like internal like fidget spinners. We don't know how to wait. We have an entire billion dollar industry based on getting your food in three minutes or less. You realize we invented fast food. We invented it. Why? Because we were so impatient to get to the next thing, we couldn't even sit down and have a meal properly. God had to retrain the Israelites in a new way of living when he brought them out of Egypt. And likewise, he retrains his own people to wait well. Because make no mistake, we're all waiting on something. Like, there's not a person in this room that can tell me, I'm actually waiting on absolutely nothing. My wife is completely content. I have nothing that I'm waiting on. There's nothing in the mail. There's, a, you know, I, I just, I have everything. I'm waiting on nothing. See, waiting is a constant of life. But how we meet that waiting is the difference between peace and anxiety. How we meet that waiting is the difference between peace and anxiety. And in some cases, how we deal with waiting is the difference between receiving Ishmael or receiving Isaac. I'm going to hit that more in just a minute. See, many of the Jewish people, if you, if you understand history up to, the, up to the birth of Christ, many of the Jewish people were so desperate for a Messiah that they went after false ones. That we know of, there were at least three people in the 30 years before Christ's birth and the, about 15 years after he was born that claimed to be a Messiah and actually had some kind of level of following. Two of those are mentioned in the book of Acts. Uh, Gamaliel, who was effectively uh, Paul's teacher, says that there, was, there were two men. One was a guy named Judas, the, Ga the Galilean, and the other was a man named, where did I write that down? Theodos. Now, we know that Theodos at least had 400 men that tried to overthrow Rome, and every single one of them was killed. Historically, Judas the Galilean had an even larger following. The reality was is that because of their impatience, most of these that followed after false messiahs all met their deaths in pretty grisly ways. Which brings me to ask the next question. Have you ever bought something off wish.com? You know, before we all knew that wish was like a Chinese knockoff type place, I bought a leather jacket off wish one time. I mean, it was, it was awesome. It was, it was a really, really nice jacket on paper. When I received it like three months later, because it like literally ships from China, I realized that there was a significant difference between an American XL and a Chinese XL. For those of you who have seen Tommy Boy, <clears throat> 
It was that scene. I was literally like, I put this thing on, and I'm like, I remember my wife was like, what is that? And I'm like, fat guy in a little coat. <laughs> Listen, if you're looking for contentment, you can always buy a cheap knockoff somewhere. But the reality is that if you want the genuine article, sometimes you have to wait. I just want to talk about two places of waiting this morning. The first one is this, learning to wait in God's promises. I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. In some cases, how we deal with waiting is the difference between receiving Ishmael or receiving Isaac. You know, I'm reminded that Sarai, the wife of Abram, had a really good desire. She wanted to see God's promise to Abram come true. Her problem came in the form of her anxiety that God wasn't doing it. And so instead of waiting on the Lord, she took upon herself a responsibility that no one should take upon themselves, which is she decided that she was going to fulfill God's promise for him. And so knowing that she was too old, quote unquote, to have a child, she then says, well, let's just do the next best thing and I'll give you my slave girl for your concubine, and that's how God's promise is going to be fulfilled. Friend, I'm going to tell you, stop pretending that you are God. If you have been given a promise from the Lord, and it, is yet, it has not yet come to pass, please do not put the responsibility for something that God said that he would do upon your own shoulders, because it will turn into an abomination. There is no one that has ever read the story of Abraham and Hagar and said this was a great idea. Thank God. Great job, Sarah. Killed it. No, in fact, the promise turned into a curse. And it actually set one promised child against another child. It actually became a real huge historical bummer instead of being the promise of God. She took responsibility for a promise that only God could fulfill. Listen, you cannot manufacture a miracle or push forward a prophetic word. I'm not saying that it's never appropriate to be desperate. But don't allow your desperation to turn into disbelief or disillusionment. Because God's timing isn't the same as ours. And even when we see it, or excuse me, even when we can't see it, his is the perfect timing. It's just that it can only be seen as perfect on the other side of the promise. You know, I, I preached on this a couple of years ago at Christmas, but I can hands down tell you why Jesus came when he did. It's because at that time, the world was experiencing one of its only windows of actual peace. You know, in the entire history of the world, there have been something like just a few years of peace where there was no wars anywhere. One of those windows is when Jesus was born. At that time, Rome had also already, they had created so many roads that instead of news going from one end of the empire to the other in like, you know, a long period of time, it actually could go in several days. There is a reason why God put Jesus in place when he did. 
It's so that even though Judea was a backwater place in the middle of nowhere, it was actually set up to be the center of the universe just for a time. God's timing is perfect. We just don't see it until he's already fulfilled his promise. See, it was faith that kept Simeon in peace while he was waiting to see the promised Savior. And it was disbelief that caused Sarah to laugh and mock her promise from God. I want you to hear this. This is Genesis 18. I want you to, here's the backstory of this moment here. In Genesis 18, the Lord bodily, in angelic form, comes to Abraham and tells him, this is what I'm going to do for you. So much so that his wife saw them and she baked bread for them. And while they're there in angelic form, the Lord says to her, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time and your wife Sarah will have a son. It says, now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So she laughed to herself. Can you imagine the audacity? God is outside, like literally outside the door. He says, in a year's time, you're going to be pregnant with the child that I promised you. And she hears it and instead of being like, thank God, let's go. She laughs at it. She laughed at God to his face effectively. After I'm worn out and my, my, my Lord is old, will I have delight? But the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you. In about a year, she will have a son. Sarah denied it and said, I, I didn't laugh. She said, because she was afraid, but he replied, no, you did laugh. <laughs> okay, but you did, though, all right? <laughs> Listen, I got to remind somebody in the room this morning, if your promise can be fulfilled by you, it probably wasn't from the Lord. The promises that God gives are supposed to sound crazy. They're supposed to sound impossible, because they are if it was just you by yourself. The point of the promises that God makes to us is that when they come to pass, he wants us to be reminded that only he could do it. Do you think that Abraham, Abraham thought to himself when, when, when Sarah finally conceived a son, he was like, wow, I still got it. Sorry. Oh, man. Uh, number two. I'm going to have the worship team come up. Told you it was going to be a simple word today. I guess a couple weeks ago, Pastor Steve was talking about, what were we talking about? You said uh, it was tithing and sex, and you wanted me to talk about sex? Anyway. Number two, God's presence. Exodus 33, 11, one more time. The Lord would speak with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. 
Then Moses would return to the camp. His assistant, the young man Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the inside of the tent. His assistant, the young man Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the inside of the tent. You know, Joshua was actually a really interesting choice to succeed Moses. For quite a number of reasons. The first one is, he wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't even a Levite. He was kind of a random guy from the tribe of Ephraim. The only thing of, of, of note that he had done previously to this in Scripture is that he was one of only two spies that went into the promised land that came back with a positive report. All he had shown Moses to become his assistant and ultimately to, to become the, the, the eventual leader of Israel was his proclivity for faith and his desire for the presence of God. The natural inclination of the heart that experiences the presence of God is to linger. About two months ago now, we had a we, we just had a, an incredible service here. Second service, I, I, I didn't preach. We just worshiped the entire time. And when I came off the platform, when we closed down the service, there were some people that left, but what I one of the things that was that was proof positive to me that God was in the room that day was that when I came off the platform, there were about a hundred people still sitting in their seats, so dazed by what God did that they didn't want to leave. You know, I've had moments in the presence of God that I felt like were a half an hour and it turned out I'd been there for like two hours. My wife and I, uh, last I think it was last New Year's, we were so overwhelmed by the presence of God, we were just worshiping in our house, but we were so overwhelmed by the presence of God that we spent almost two and a half hours worshiping. And my kids had already gone to bed. Like, I, it wasn't anything crazy. The music wasn't super loud. There was no lights or fog machines. It, it was just the Holy Spirit came in the room. The Holy Spirit came in the room, and all I wanted to do was stay. When I read the story of Joshua, I'm reminded that the natural inclination of the heart that has experienced the glory of God is to stay as long as you can, is to stick there. Because, man, I don't know about you, but there have been, I've had these moments in the presence that, that, that partially the reason why I hold on to them is because I don't know when the next one will be. It might be tomorrow, it might be five years from now. When I was 14 years old, I had my first experience with the glory of God. And I felt like that entire year was just experience after experience after experience. And I didn't, I didn't have it again until I was in my mid-20s. And so I looked back on that time and I was reminded now in my 30s that if the glory comes in the room, then I should stay in the room. See, like Obed-Edom from last week, Joshua valued the presence of God above many of his contemporaries, and he reaped the reward of his posture toward the Lord. See, those moments that were spent in the presence of God prepared him for command, just as time spent in the presence prepares us for righteous living. See, we have a faith that is intellectually rigorous, mystically spiritual, and also physically engaging. You know, as I'm wrapping up here, 
I wonder how long the wise men and the shepherds stayed with Joseph and Mary. You know, like when you, when you read the Bible, it doesn't usually give like exact time frames. But like, can you imagine just the tension a little bit? So on one hand, like the wise men, when they saw the child, they fell down and worshiped because what? It wasn't just Mary's promise, it was their promise. It wasn't just Mary's baby, it was our baby. It wasn't just Mary's king, it was my king. But can you imagine the tension of seeing in bodily form the fulfillment of a promise that had been given at the dawn of time and also that there was a young mother who had just given birth and a baby that needed sleep. I wonder how long they felt they could linger in the presence of Jesus and not be a nuisance. How long did Simeon hold Jesus, the one he'd personally waited, been waiting for and been promised by the Spirit himself that he would see Israel's salvation with his own eyes? Can you, Stephen, can you imagine? Can you imagine having to give it back? Can you imagine having to give Jesus back? Man, I've waited for you for so long. Here. I don't know how I'd do it. I'd have probably kidnapped him. Like, I'm going to raise him. <laughs> Especially knowing it would be another 30 long years of waiting before he would even begin his ministry. Before he would do anything, it, was, it would be another 30 years. Imagine being the shepherd who got to see him once knowing I might never see him again. It's not like people lived until they were 60. Like a, like, a, like a good long life back then was in the 50s. They might have never seen Jesus again. Simeon certainly didn't see Jesus until Jesus went to heaven. Imagine having to give him back. Listen, I may have to wait for some of the promises that have yet to come to pass in my own life, but one of the beautiful things is that I'm reminded today that my greatest promise is one that came to pass 2,000 years ago. See, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect and sinless life on my behalf, that he was pierced for my transgressions, he was crushed for my iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his stripes we are healed. that he was buried in a tomb, arose on the third day with the keys of death in the grave, that he ascended to the Father and is currently seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, that he is ruling and reigning until all his enemies are made into his footstool and he is coming back again to judge the living and the dead. See, I don't have to wait for the promise of his Holy Spirit. I don't have to wait for the closeness of his presence. I don't have to wait for the forgiveness of my sins or the richness of his glory or the resurrection of my soul. Friend, I've seen the lame walk. I've, I've seen the deaf hear and the mute speak with my own eyes. I have seen cancer disappear. I have seen broken bones mended. I have seen families reunited. I have seen prodigals come home. I've seen wheelchairs emptied by the power of his spirit. One day, whether I rise to meet him from the earth or return with him when he comes down, I will see his return in glory to dry every tear, to right every wrong, and to renew all things by the word of his power.
all started in a little town in the middle of nowhere, Bethlehem of Judea. Luke 2, 8 to 14, says in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of God shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. I can imagine what they, what they thought the sign would be. I want you to think about this. 10,000 angels pop out of nowhere. The glory of God shines around you. This incredible proclamation is given. And it says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. I wonder if the sign, this is in my notes, by the way. I wonder if the sign was given specifically for the shepherds to let them know he's not just coming for the high, he's coming for the low. He's not just coming for the up and outers, he's coming for the down and outers. He, he, he's coming as a king, but his throne is a manger. He's coming, he's coming with power and authority, but his greatest work is going to be to die. This will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Can I tell somebody in the room? You are people he favors. Peace on earth to you, the favorite of the Lord. I'm just going to ask one question today. Do you know Jesus? Can I tell you that the beauty of understanding the type of waiting that we have inherited is that there are some things we don't have to wait for. See, for them, they still had to wait for Jesus' ministry. For them, they still had to wait for his death, burial, resurrection. That is not true for you and I. We are on the other side of his glory. You don't have to wait one more day to meet Jesus. You don't have to wait one more day to see his glory revealed in your life. You don't have to wait. Why don't you stand in your feet with me this morning? If you're here this morning and today's the day that you want to repent of your sins and give your life to Jesus, that you want to be indwelt with his Holy Spirit, become a new creation. If you're here in the room and you've not said yes to Jesus and today you want to do it, I'm going to give you the opportunity. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I'd like to pray with you. Is there anybody in the room today that today's your day to say yes to Jesus? Anybody in the room today? Give me just a moment. Thank you, Lord. I just want us to respond this morning by giving God praise. You know, there are times where the altar call is 
If you need healing, if you need this, if you need that, man, come forward. But really the altar call today is, can we be thankful that we don't have to wait? Can we be thankful that that we can be in the presence just as surely as Simeon was in the presence, but we don't have to give it back? Can we worship God today? this Christmas Eve, God, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, that for our sake and on our behalf, Jesus, that you did what we could never do. Lord, we love you, we worship and honor you, we praise you, and it's in your mighty name we pray, amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a praise this morning? Hey, if you're new with us today, 
uh, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, on your way out, make sure you swing by our information center. We've uh, got a gift for you. I just love to connect with you. Um, our prayer teams are going to come forward this time. If you have need of, of, of just any kind of prayer, whether it's you've gotten you know, he, he, healing in your body or just somebody to, uh, to agree with you on something, we would love to pray for you. I'm going to pray a quick blessing over you, and we're going to dismiss you. So, Lord, I thank you for this wonderful people. God, I pray you bless them and keep them. Lord, cause your face to shine upon them. Lord, lift your countenance towards them and give them peace. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Merry Christmas, church. You're dismissed.